Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of your co-hosts, and you can follow me on Twitter at TalkinACCSports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at Smash underscore ASD. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as he introduces our guests and gets the podcast started. Hey, can you hear us there, Matthew? I can hear you. I can Hi. hear you. Good, good. Sorry for the delay here. Uh, this is the longest running podcast, ACC podcast in the United States. Welcome to this week in the Atlantic Coast Conference. You can follow our site Twitter account at, at All Sports DACC, and we're proud of this long run that we've had. We have a, a return guest on this show that we haven't had here in a long time. It's Brian Harrison. It's been a few years since he's been on here, and we're happy to have him back. He is a Syracuse alum, 2005. He went to the Western New England University Law School, graduate 2009. He's an attorney. He's originally from upstate New York. He blogs about Syracuse University at orange44.blogspot.com. He's also also officiates football and lacrosse, and uh, he is a law dog, as they say. That's his hashtag on Twitter. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add here, Brian, for your for your background? I know we've got your Twitter. That's at bh orange bh underscore orange forty four. That's at bh underscore orange forty forty four. Is there anything else that you'd like to add or plug right now? The floor is yours. Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Appreciate uh, being back uh, with you guys. It's yeah, it's been a few years, uh, but uh, always fun to talk to you guys and always fun to talk ACC football. We're really happy to have you back. So give us your brief thoughts. We've kind of been doing this with a lot of guests that come on here, right? We usually talk about the men's basketball season that was. And in this case, we we're asking you about the Syracuse 2021-2022 men's basketball season. Let's let's hear it, man. I mean, I don't think that's very nice of you, but I guess I'll answer the question. <laughs> we're here for it, man. Imagine how Jeff imagine how Jeff felt when we had the the Atlanta Journal Constitution reporter talking about Georgia Tech. So go ahead. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a rough one. It's it's Jim Beheim's first losing season ever at Syracuse, his first sub 500 season. Uh, and it's uh, frankly mostly due to things outside of his control. Uh, Syracuse started the year by losing their center, Barama Sidibe, who has been injury prone the last few years anyway. Uh, he's had some real problems with his knees. Um, everyone thought he was good to go. Uh, you know, he was working his way through training camp over the summer, and I believe in, uh, I think it was either September or October, uh, re-injured himself, basically. It was out until, uh, you know, January, late January, I believe, is when he finally started to get a few minutes here and there again. But he was the predicted starting center for the for the team. He went out almost immediately. Uh, the backup, Jesse Edwards, came in, and, uh, you know, he just wasn't, starting ACC material yet uh, by the end of the non-conference and sort of middle of the conference season, he actually started looking almost like a ACC, uh, all, all ACC player uh, had some tremendous games. You know, we're talking like six, seven blocks, 20 points, 
a bunch of rebounds. He was actually playing very well. And then Syracuse went to Boston College with a big, about, I think, five or six games left in the regular season schedule and ended up falling and breaking his hand, uh, breaking his wrist. So he was done for the year after that. Um, Frank Anselm did a nice job coming in to try and replace the center, but he's not really a center. He's more of a power forward. And frankly, uh, you know, no matter how good your other players are, I mean, Buddy Beheim was the leading scorer in the league. Uh, you know, you, you're not going to uh, do well if you don't have a center. Uh, so that was mainly what happened to Syracuse. And frankly, there were about four or five games. Uh, well, maybe that's an exaggeration. Probably two or three games, definitely, where you could point to it and say if they had uh, either uh, Barama CDB or Jesse Edwards in the game, they would have won. Uh, both the Miami games come to mind were. Uh, they had, a, I think, an 18-point lead each time, both at Miami and in the Dome, and then ended up uh, losing by a, a basket or two. So uh, a lot of those games, uh, you know, ended up uh, just, you know, one or two plays here and there, and Syracuse lost, and, and it's a totally different season if uh, I think they had a center in there. But, uh, you know, I got to give them credit. They they gave Duke a hell of a game in the ACC tournament and came up about a minute and a half short of actually pulling off a huge upset uh, and advancing, but uh, it was not to be. And Syracuse misses the tournament, which, uh, as everyone knows, is uh, a tough out once they get in the NCAA tournament. And so, sadly, no magical run this year. But, uh, you know, it's a, a young, talented team next year. Uh, and so we'll see what happens. Jeff? I'm turning it over to you. You're up, buddy. All right. Thank you, Matthew. All right, Brian. Uh, what are some of the major major strengths coming back for Syracuse uh, as we turn to football? Uh, well, the orange should be slightly upgraded on offense this coming season. Um, you know, Syracuse uh, has the man who now holds the uh, single season all-time rushing record for Syracuse. And Syracuse is a school, as you know, that has had some legendary running backs, including Jim Brown uh, and Ernie Davis winning the Heisman in 1961. So uh, there's quite the lineage there. Uh, and uh, Sean Tucker is is uh, the current single season all-time leading rusher for Syracuse. He's back. He should hit the ground running. He should be immediately uh, uh, an impact on offense. Uh, and he'll actually have a, a uh, and I'll talk about it a little more later, but uh, a better offensive line in front of him now, a more healthy offensive line. So that should be interesting and uh, really help Syracuse move the ball on the ground. Uh, but, you know, turning it to the other major portion of the offense, the quarterback situation to be a little more upgraded as well. Garrett Schrader is back uh, starting this year. He didn't start the last season, but ended up the starter by the end. Uh, he's uh, a guy that can get it done both on uh on uh, in the air and on the ground, although I think he's more of a, uh, a a better runner than a passer. At least that was last season. This year he should be a little better at both. I think he single-handedly won the game at Virginia Tech last season for Syracuse uh, on the final drive. Made some outrageous throws in that game. So he he can and he has the ability to to stretch the field. Uh, he just needs to be more consistent about it. Uh, Syracuse has a new quarterbacks coach and in, in Jason Beck and a new offensive coordinator and Ronard and I uh, both from Virginia. Virginia, uh, when the uh, the Virginia staff got broken up at the end of last season, uh, Syracuse swooped in and picked up both of them. Uh, so they're now at uh, Syracuse, and and 
you know, Schrader, I think, kind of bailed on a lot of plays a little too quickly last year. He, he tried to run, and uh, granted, he did well. He, he gained a lot of yards on the ground, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think it's the same with any team. You want your quarterback to be to be able to pass the ball first, and then if he needs to make a play on the ground, make a play on the ground. Uh, but with Sean Tucker, you really don't need to run the ball that much if you're the quarterback, and so he should really uh, be able to settle in more and, and pass. Uh, the, the goal is, is this year is to get the passing game going more for Syracuse. So I think that should happen. Um, and additionally, and uh, again, I'll talk about this a little more later, but uh, Syracuse got uh, portal transfers uh, of, of two quarterbacks, Carlos Del Rio Wilson from Florida uh, in late May and a portal transfer that I think happened in January. Uh, Dan Villari, who was at Michigan, he was basically, I think the fourth string at Michigan, uh, but they're all going to, uh, if not I think it's Schrader's job to lose right now, and and I think uh, Bavers is all in on him currently. But but if something happens where he's injured or or he's just not looking good, uh, there's obviously good people uh, that are stacked up behind him that can come in. Uh, and obviously a quarterback competition in practice, I don't think is ever a bad thing. I think everyone, uh, gets better that way. Uh, the one interesting note is that Valari has four years of eligibility left. So he may end up being, if not this year, uh, soon thereafter the the long-term investment for Syracuse, a quarterback. Uh, and then finally, uh, kind of the big, uh, Strength coming back is the linebacker core. Uh, the trio of Mikhail Jones, Stefan Thompson, and Marlo Wax should be stellar again. They're very experienced. I think they earned uh, an average of uh, eight over eight tackles for loss a game last season. So uh, the linebackers are uh, a stellar group at Syracuse, the strength of the defense. And, and maybe, uh, you know, obviously with Clemson in the league, it's probably a little too much to say they're the best linebacking core in the league, but they're pretty close. Uh, and then finally, uh, Syracuse returns former Lou Groza award winner, Andrew Schmitz uh, at kicker. Uh, he did not look good last year on some of the games. And frankly, I think he probably lost a couple of games for Syracuse. Uh, but he, it's, he's in his sixth year this year uh, with the eligibility granted from COVID and all that. So he should uh, actually ha have a stellar final year, I would think, and, and make a lot of those automatic kicks that he used to get automatic again. All right. And we know that he's, you know, perfectly capable of, you know, ending up being one of the very best kickers in the country when he's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, he, he, I think he hit, you know, a number of 50 plus uh, field goals in the past and uh, you know, he should be primed and ready to go knows it's his last season. So he, he should be ready to uh, go out there and, and be counted on when Bears needs him to make a kick. All right, let's go to the, to the flip side, Brian, what are some of the major weaknesses coming back for Syracuse? In other words, what do you think uh, Syracuse will be working on the, the month before the first game? What are the question marks that you think have to be resolved? Uh, well, like I said, the linebackers are obviously a very solid group. They're probably the best on the defensive line, uh, maybe in the league, as I said. But but the rest of the defense uh, is an awful lot of question marks. Uh, Syracuse is entering year two with their defensive coordinator, Tony White, uh, who switched them to a, primarily a 3-3-5 scheme. Um, it's my understanding around the NCAA that that's coming, becoming a little more fashionable of a defense. But uh, it was kind of a rough adjustment for Syracuse last year uh, in more than a few of those games. Uh, Syracuse was still able to pressure the ball, like I said, with those linebackers, but too many coverage issues happened, uh, especially with them dropping into coverage versus just being able to go get the ball from the quarterback. So, um, you know, Babers is an offensive coach. He, he's, he's, uh, 
you know, up tempo. Uh, uh, he's he's only coached that side of the ball, so he's really relying on White to straighten out the kinks for this year coming forward, uh, and hopefully be ready to to roll out the gate. They they've had the scheme in place for a year now, so it should be uh, a little smoother this year uh, implementing the defenses that they want to implement. Um, but the, that's definitely the thing they're probably going to be working on the most is the defense. Um, and also, uh, I kind of briefly touched on it earlier, but the offensive line had a lot of injuries last season. Uh, I don't think I'm surprising anyone by saying that with Sean Tucker, Syracuse is a first-run team, uh, and and you want to play to your strengths, obviously. So while Tucker still had a career and record-breaking season, uh, it was after a lot of guys only played a couple, two, three, four games. Uh, so we were on our second and third string tackles and guards. Um, you know, Syracuse brings a lot of those players back. Uh, they're healthy now. They're rested. Uh, and they gave, obviously, the players that were playing in their place a lot of experience last year. Uh, but there's still a, a question of the O-line depth. Uh, the players coming back, are they are they ready to go? Uh, versus the players that have uh, kind of stepped in and tried to do their best, but maybe are a little less talented. Uh, so there's a question on the offensive line there as well. All right. Um Brian, uh, who are some of the new recruits that have impressed you the most? And this might also include players that have arrived through the transfer portal. Um, are there any that you think will get some major playing time right away? And we know you've, you've touched a little bit on a couple of them already. Yeah, I mean, so Syracuse did, uh, you know, uh, an average to better than average job at recruiting. Um but in general, you know, they're getting the three-star guys. They're they're hoping that they show up, uh, they get them in the weight room, and they can coach them up to a four- or five-star level playing career. Uh, but Syracuse did exceptionally well in the transfer portal. Um, I mentioned Carlos Del Rio Wilson earlier, who transferred in from quarterback uh, from Florida. Uh, again, the competition isn't set, but Schrader's likely to get the nod, but again, he may uh, be put into similar or uh, some playing time situations. Uh, obviously, uh, garbage time if that applies in some of the earlier games. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how Schrader splits the time. Uh, kind of similar to what happened last year, where Tommy DeVito was actually the starter. Schrader split some time and then eventually took over the job. Uh, but uh, that was before. DeVito kind of uh, got benched for uh, not quite the entire second half of the season, but a good, good amount of it. And then he uh, subsequently transferred to Illinois. So there's, there's backup quarterback opportunity and there's some playing time opportunity, I think for him. Um, and uh, additionally for uh, FAU uh, sent a transfer to us as a wide receiver, DeMarcus Adams. Uh, he's incredibly fast. Uh, and that may give Schrader or any QB at Syracuse a nice option to stretch the field. He's probably going to be the uh, wide receiver one uh, on the outside that'll hopefully give Syracuse the ability to stretch the field. And and obviously, as you guys know, uh, if once you stretch the field and you get the passing game going, that opens up the run, which is, uh, you know, like uh, a, a bone to a dog for Sean Tucker, who's, you know, all he all he wants to do is run and and. Uh, get the team some touchdowns. So uh, that should help him out as well. And frankly, Syracuse, I think, is striving to be a more balanced offense this year when they were so run heavy last year. Um, and and I think if Schrader comes along and he's got a few more targets, I think that should happen. But DeMarcus Adams should make a, an impact from day one. Uh, Brian, based on what you, you've seen and read, do you think Syracuse will be better than last year? and why or why not and then we'll go through uh this thing we call win game lose game where we walk through the syracuse schedule 
and we get your quick thoughts on whether that game will be a win or a loss. Uh, so my gut says that they're not going to be worse than last year, which is good. <laughs> um, I, I think they're going to be at least as good as they were. Um, Syracuse won five games last year. Uh, and, you know, three of the three of the losses were by three points. Uh, so, you know, Syracuse was in a lot of those games. They just didn't end up the winner. And obviously, you know, all that matters is the wins and losses. But it's not like they were getting blown out uh, for the majority of those games. It's not like, uh, you know, the Greg Robinson era of the past. It's actually they're competing games. They just ended up on the on the wrong side of the win column. But um, in theory, they should be better. And by better, I mean, maybe a game or two more. Um, I do think, you know, they do squeak into a bowl game this year, but the schedule, uh, is not the most favorable to Syracuse. Um, and, and, you know, we're obviously going to go through each game, but it's a tough schedule. I wish Syracuse would schedule a little more easy. And once you get the wins and the bowl games and recruiting picks up that, you know, then you're off and running, then you can schedule the tough teams, but, uh, you know, Syracuse is just not there yet. Uh, but, they should be slightly better than last year to answer your question. And they should be able to win the ones that they're supposed to do. They have to win the ones that they're supposed to and steal a couple others. All right. So let's get into that, that schedule. And, and, and like you said, if you just take a quick glance at it, uh, there, there's a brutal, brutal stretch in the second half of the season that Syracuse is going to have to contend with. Uh, but here, you know, the opening four or five, first four or five weeks might be a chance to, uh, to get off to a fast start. Uh, so let's jump right into it. You start the season off on uh, ACC Network, 8 p.m., hosting uh, the Louisville Cardinals, Malik Cunningham, and uh, what should be a pretty high-powered Louisville offense. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a great game to start in that it's a terrible game to start for Syracuse. It'll be a fun game to watch for fans, but uh, I, I absolutely hate starting any sports season with a conference game. Uh, unless you're the absolute stone cold lock favorite. I hate it. Um, I don't know if you guys remember they, uh, this is basketball, but they started the basketball season a couple years ago with all conference games just to like get the season open or whatever. And I think Syracuse and Virginia played the most pitiful basketball game I've seen in a long time where I think it was both teams were in the forties and it was basically a, a, a slog to try and see who would win that. I hate starting game. Uh, any sport with a conference game, you want a couple of non-conference games to get you in the flow, you know, get your team in a game situation to show up. But either way, obviously Louisville is a very good team. Uh, while this game is at home, I think Syracuse probably loses the opener. I just think uh, Louisville on paper is a much better team than Syracuse. Uh, but we should get a decent idea of the ability of Syracuse because Sy Louisville trounced Syracuse last year, more or less. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it'll be a little more competitive. I think it'll be an interesting show for the Syracuse offense to kind of get in a rhythm and see what we can do, see how improved they are. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think it'll be 41 to three like last year's game was. I think it'll be more close, but I do think Syracuse loses. All right. Uh, then you after that game, you go on the road and you play at at UConn. Yeah, I think it's just the way it worked out, but you play a tough opener, but then you get uh, the cakewalk that is the Yukon Huskies. <laughs> Yukon uh, <laughs> uh, is not a good football team. They won one game last year. It was against Ivy League Yale. Uh, they lost to FCS Holy Cross uh, out of Worcester. Uh, my wife's team, UMass, beat them. 
uh, and UMass also is not a good football team. Uh, they're independent, uh, much like UConn. Uh, I know UConn has a new coach, uh, uh, actually a pretty decent coach, but uh, if UConn wins this, I'll be the most shocked I've been in a long, 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 long time. Uh, I think I may actually be at this game, so I'll be interested to see how they, they look in person, but I do think Syracuse wins this, and they should go to one and one. All right. Uh, then you come back and you host uh, the Purdue Boilermakers. Yeah, I mean, I think the antithesis of Syracuse and the ACC kind of high-flying offense is a just tough as nails, Big Ten kind of meat and potatoes team, and that is Purdue. Uh, I'd like to think uh, by game three at home, Syracuse would put up a, a nice fight and actually make this a game, uh, but the history is just not on their side. Um and, uh, you know, Purdue had a hell of a season last year. I think at one point they beat number two, Iowa. Uh, and I think they upset Michigan State, if I recall correctly. Um, so if they keep it close, they have a chance and it'll be that's a moral victory. But uh, I think they'll boil her up, as they say. So it'll, I think uh, Syracuse loses that. All right. Uh, after that one, you stay at home on a Friday night, host uh, the Virginia Cavaliers. Yeah, Syracuse, uh, so as I mentioned earlier, basically stole the offensive coaching staff from Virginia from last year. Um, I also think uh, that Syracuse being at home uh, should be favored in this one. Uh, Virginia only won six games last year, and they also have a new coach this year. So uh, that's you know not vastly different from what Syracuse did last year, only the coaching staff is more experienced, and actually they're getting the Virginia coaching staff, so they should have a little insight, even though they're going to install a new system, I'm sure. Uh, but there should be enough here to get a win for Syracuse if they just play to their strengths. Also, Syracuse does typically very well on a Friday night game on uh, national TV. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but traditionally they show up for the Friday night game. So uh, I'll give them uh, the nod on that one. All right. Uh, then after that, you stay at home and host the Wagner Seahawks. Yeah, the uh, Long Island or not Long Island, uh, Staten Island's finest. Um, <laughs> uh, they're the FCS school that Syracuse is playing on the schedule. Uh, Syracuse should beat FCS Wagner, and it's also homecoming. Uh, I don't know why they picked such a dreadful game as Wagner to be the homecoming, but uh, perhaps they needed to sell tickets. Either way, Syracuse wins wins that game. All right. Uh, then the next week, Syracuse is off, and then. And this has to be one of the most brutal stretches of any ACC team this year. Uh, th this is this is a gauntlet, I have to say, Brian, over the next uh, month and a half for Syracuse. And, and you get right out of the gate with a really good NC State team. Yeah, I mean, I, so I am assuming that NC State is going to be slightly better than they were last year. And they were very good last year. But I have no idea of really how they're going to end up. Uh, but. Syracuse had a problem, has had a problem with NC State over the years. Um, I think they maybe had one close game in the entire series that they play them. Uh, despite being at home, I have to think that Syracuse is losing this one. Uh, I mean, everything on paper points to NC State winning. And, uh, you know, as much as I wish that was different, uh, I think Syracuse starts the stretch uh, losing this, although uh, they'll, they'll at least be at, at 500 at that point. All right. Uh, after that NC State game, you go on the road, you play at Clemson. Why not, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> last season for divisions, might as well go for it. Uh, for whatever reason, call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. Syracuse always seems to play well against Clemson. Yes. Uh, 
Syracuse, Pittsburgh, and NC State are the only ACC teams to beat them in the last five years in the regular season. For whatever reason, <laughs> Syracuse seems to play them tough. They only lost uh, in, in the Dome last year by three to Clemson. Had a real shot at that game and, and just didn't uh, didn't execute down the stretch, but either way, Clemson's, uh, they got to play a perfect game against Clemson at Clemson. Uh, I just don't think that's very likely. Uh, so I, I'm going to give the nod to Clemson, especially since that game is at Clemson. All right. Uh, after that, you come back and you host Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad this game is in the dome in Syracuse and not in the greater New York city area. Uh, they last played in Yankee stadium, actually, if you remember that the stadium series, um, Notre Dame will have a new coach themselves, uh, as Brian Kelly, uh, headed South. Um, but it's still Notre Dame. Uh, and while Syracuse has had an interesting uh, history with Notre Dame over the years, uh, one of my last games in, at Syracuse in the marching band was against Notre Dame and we ended up beating them. Um, Greg Robinson even beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame once, uh, but this is just uh, a different era. Um, while I think maybe Syracuse plays them tight, they'll be up. You know, Syracuse tends to get up for the bigger games and, and kind of play down for the lesser games. But, uh, you know, maybe Notre Dame uh, views this as a, a gimme and they'll look past them. And so Syracuse will be close. I don't know. But either way, I, th I think the safe money's on Notre Dame. All right. Uh, after that one, you know, probably another top 25 matchup because you're going on the road. You play at Pitt, the defending ACC champs. Yeah, Kenny Pickett's gone, obviously. Uh, but uh, traditionally, Syracuse and Pittsburgh played tough games with each other. Uh, I believe uh, this is the longest uh, Syracuse opponent the, like series that they, they have. Uh, they've played them for, you know, if not – a hundred years, probably more. Um, if something about the history of these two teams, it's just, uh, you know, like we, we we're like, obviously the biggest rival with Pitt in terms of just the, the amount of times we play them and the ge geography, but, uh, you know, it's, we don't hate Pittsburgh and we don't hate Pittsburgh fans for whatever reason. It's just, uh, you know, it's a respectful grudge almost. Uh, and I do think that this game, uh, you know, kind of stays tight early uh but because it's in pittsburgh i think they obviously pull away and and pat narduzzi's always uh got them prepared so i think pittsburgh uh probably wins out um i'd like to say this is being played in heinz field but it's uh renamed now uh so that's not as fun as it used to be but uh uh yeah pittsburgh i think wins that okay then you stay at home and you host the florida state seminoles yeah, I mean, Syracuse has been knocking on the door of Florida State for the last few years um, with uh, FSU coming to the Dome. I think this is the year that maybe Syracuse actually wins this game. Uh, additionally, I think at this point in the season, Syracuse will have their backs against the wall in terms of bowl eligibility. Um, after that Pittsburgh game, I think they're likely going to be three and six. So so it's kind of a do or die at that point. Uh, so I think that maybe pushes them over the edge against Florida State in the Dome at home, uh, a game they actually played, like I said, tight the last few years, both at Florida State and in the Carrier Dome. They just haven't been able to win, but I think this might be the year that they actually overtake that and, and win the game. All right. Uh, then after that Florida State game, you go on the road and you play, you know, another high-flying offense quarterback at Wake Forest. 
Yeah, Syracuse lost a real heartbreaker to Wake last year. It was a three-point loss in overtime in a very winnable game. Um, uh, and while I do think their quarterback is obviously a, a big uh, uh, point for them, uh, I think Syracuse goes down to Wake and kind of shocks them at home. Uh, they've done it before. They can do it again. I think Wake, uh, much like last year, I think they'll play down to Syracuse. Uh, and I think they'll maybe overlook them a little bit. I think it's a big trap game for them. I, I think uh, if Syracuse is healthy and uh, is kind of firing on all cylinders, they have a real shot to upset Wake Forest there. So I'm going to I'm going to give that one to Syracuse. All right. I hear you. Uh, then you finish the season at Boston College in Chestnut Hill. Yeah, the ACC loves having BC and Syracuse play on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. It's been that way, except for the COVID year and, and kind of when they fiddle with the schedule a little bit. Um, it's always the case that Syracuse plays either the Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving, either in Boston. I should say, shouldn't say in Boston, either at Boston College or in the Carrier Dome, or former Carrier Dome. Uh, but yes, uh, and much like last year, I think. Uh, Syracuse will go down to Chestnut Hill and and beat them. Syracuse won this last this last season. Um, I think to a lot of people's surprise, um, but I do think Syracuse earns a bowl game by beating uh, a hated rival in front of what should be a, if not a majority Syracuse crowd, at least a pretty close to 50-50 Syracuse crowd. Uh, obviously, Boston is a huge uh, alumni base for Syracuse, uh, so a lot of Orange fans show up to that game. Uh, so it won't quite be the home field advantage that I think Boston college might need uh, that game after Thanksgiving, especially when uh, a lot of students won't be there because they'll be on break as well. So I think Syracuse wins that one. Um, and remember Boston college is not in Boston. Yeah. All right. Uh, Matthew, I'm going to turn it over to you for the last couple questions in the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Again, we appreciate you joining us uh, tonight. Brian, so this is it's wonderful, wonderful to have you back. So give us the state. I mean, it's been it's been quite a while here now for 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 Dino at Dino Babers over here at at Syracuse for the football program, and we're wondering what you think regarding the status of the program, the bloggers, the fans, the alumni, friends of the university. The floor is yours, Brian. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so the administration already, and I think it was about a month ago, said point blank that Dino Babers is not on the hot seat. Um, while I think I'm a more rational fan than most of the Syracuse fans, I think the majority of Syracuse fans are basically thinking it's going to be a bowl or bust for Dino Babers. Either Syracuse gets the six wins, shows some improvement from last year, or they will be calling for his head. Um, and obviously, you know, there's a huge irrational a uh, portion of the Syracuse fan base that's already screaming for it. Think he sucks and this and that, um, you know, you're going to get that at every school, but I think Syracuse has a uh, more unre unreasonable, uh, large contingency than, than a lot of schools in similar situations to Syracuse. But either way, I think that's, uh, you know, kind of where it's at. Um, the rough part is Syracuse had five wins last year and three losses in the middle of the season, uh, as I talked about earlier, were by three points. So that was at Florida State against number 19 Wake Forest in the Dome in overtime and against Clemson in the Dome. Uh, Syracuse just missed a play here, the field goal there, and, and lost those games. It was the difference between, obviously, a great season with a bowl game and ending up with where they did at five wins. 
Um, but the point is that Syracuse's last winning season was 2018 when they won 10 games. They don't necessarily need to win 10 games, uh, nor do I think they will. Uh, but uh, six is a reasonable goal and something that is achievable and something they should get. Uh, and they have a, uh, they will need a pretty good excuse uh, as to why they didn't get it or they need to get the six wins uh, for Dino Babers. Uh, you know, strangely, it was a bad year for both football uh, basketball and lacrosse at Syracuse. It might be the, uh, I mean, it's definitely the first time in my lifetime that all three teams had a losing season. Um, and it's, like I said, it's, it's the first losing season for Jim Beheim. And obviously Syracuse lacrosse is the most storied, uh, division one men's lacrosse team in the country. Uh, so that was also an, um, an oddity as well. Um, but despite all that, it was still, uh, almost a record high, in fundraising for Syracuse is they're, they're looking to upgrade their, uh, kind of football facilities as well. So, uh, despite the, uh, you know, five win record, they, they're still have support from the alumni and, and the fan base as of now, um, either way, Babers is back for this season. Uh, maybe Babers is back next year, regardless of the results, either way, I, I think this administration really backs him. Uh, but obviously the, the pressure is starting to build. Outstanding. I mean, it's just a, been a great podcast with you, Brian. So here we go, man. It's open microphone time. The floor is yours, Brian. Uh, well, uh, you know, I don't think supporting your team makes you a homer necessarily. Uh, and that's especially if you are known to actually objectively look at things and evaluate it and also change your mind based on new information. I think it's how anyone should live their life, whether it's uh, having an opinion on sports or politics or or your job or anything. If, if you're presented with new information, you should adjust your opinion based on that new information, based on reality, based on the circumstances. Uh, but either way, uh, I think it's objectively hilarious that uh, I, during the football, or excuse me, during the basketball season, when looking at a team that is so close in all these games, but not having a starting center, uh, you know, having all these uh, issues with, with, the one of the most important positions on a team where only five guys can be on the floor at a time for your team, you're missing the main center of your team is kind of important. Uh, so I say, uh, you know, Jim Beheim is still a phenomenal coach and he's just, you know, dealt a bad hand with a, with an injured center and people claim that I'm a Jim Beheim burner account on Twitter because of it. Uh, and so much so that it actually got the attention of the local uh, ESPN radio station in Syracuse. Um, but I happen to know the uh, person that has the show on in ESPN in Syracuse. His name is Brent Axe. He's on uh, every day, I believe at five o'clock uh, for a couple hours on the ESPN station in Syracuse. And he happens to know me personally. I've been friends with him for, for over a decade. So uh, his producer went to him and said, hey, uh, have you heard of this guy, Brian Harrison? Everyone thinks it's a Bayheim burner account. He's like, he's like, I can guarantee you he's not because I'm going to get him on the phone right now. And so he, he called me up uh, and I didn't know I was going to go on the air, but he did. And, and he basically, uh, you know, had me explain how I was not a Bayheim burner account. I was a real person. And uh, so awful announcing uh, did a write up of it a little while ago. Uh, this happened a few months ago. Uh, so if, uh, if you can, uh, you can Google my name on awful announcing and, and see the article and hear the clip. It's pretty, pretty funny, but, uh, you know, just, just so everyone knows for the record, I'll say it again. I, I am not Jim Beheim. 
That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Now, before you go, Jeff, since we have an attorney here on the phone, I'm going to use my microphone to ask Brian a question. Brian, you see a lot going on with conference realignment right now. Lots. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what about this grant of media rights for the ACC team members? How long are people really in position to stay in the ACC? Because Jeff and I think it could be for a long time unless someone decides to renegotiate it or cancel the contract. And we think that's highly not the case because it's really strongly in ESPN's favor. But I would love to hear your take on that because there are some people that I think are having some kind of some outlandish takes about how it's easy to get out of that tomorrow. Yeah, no, I, th I think your opinion is pretty right on. I mean, uh, the way it's written, uh, first, let me say, no contract is 100% unbreakable. I'll say that right off the bat. A good example of that is the Carrier Dome licensing agreement that Syracuse had with the Carrier Corporation for the naming rights to the, to the dome. They signed a lifetime contract in 1980 for, I think it was around a million dollars. Obviously huge at the time in 1980, but uh, obviously in 2020, 2021, 2022, that's a horrible deal because they're not getting any more money and it's a lifetime contract. They've somehow negotiated their way out of that, broke that deal, and now there's a, a, a new name that's going to be on the Carrier Dome that's starting near, and obviously they're going to be getting more money for it. So I will say that no contract is totally unbreakable and you know you have nothing to worry about because that's not the case. But the way this grant of rights is written and the, and the length of time it is, I think it's told, uh, what, 2035, somewhere in there, um, it, it's pretty darn near unbreakable unless you want to pay a whole lot of boatload of money. Um, and not only that, but to break it, you're going to have to pay a whole boatload of money to your legal uh, you know, representation as well uh, to do the legwork, to represent you and all that. So uh, if you've got millions and millions and millions of dollars that you can uh, just say, hey, here you go, uh, and I'll try and make it up uh, you know, with the SEC or the Big Ten, uh, you know, more power to you. Uh, good luck. But I think you're going to lose out on the deal, at least in 2022. The story may be different in 2028 or 2030, or maybe if, um, you know, it's not just one or two teams or three or four teams. If it's eight or nine or 10 teams, that's maybe a different animal. But as of right now, I, you know, I think it's a lot to do about nothing, much to do about nothing in terms of the actual ACC schools and, and panicking and worrying. Now, that's not to say that in the arms race that is conference realignment, uh, you know, the Big Ten does become a 20-team league and the SEC kind of also becomes huge and the ACC is sitting at their 15 without Notre Dame and and maybe tries to pick off a couple of Pac-12 schools or something and maybe adds a couple but but doesn't really lose any you know who's to say that that's a different situation and, and something else will happen but uh you know I want to reiterate that there's nothing to panic about as of this moment in 2022 uh, but it's something also that you got to be a little proactive about and not just say, well, we're all set. We've got this grant of rights. We're good to go indefinitely for for the next at least decade. And we're, we're all set uh, because obviously the other conferences are not thinking that way. They're thinking more, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. So it's you have to be a little proactive and, and, and throw some feelers out there and, and maybe try and lure Notre Dame in, or like I said, maybe a couple of packed 12 schools. Although I think the geography is insane that way, but it's insane that I think pac 12 schools or big, 
Big 12 schools are joining the Big 10. So uh, maybe those rules don't apply anymore. Uh, but certainly the costs do. So unless you're making a lot, a lot more, uh, that's a problem too. But uh, I don't think there's anything to panic about right now, but that could easily change. Very good take. Very good take, Brian. I'm going to switch over to you, Jeff. Yeah, that was, that was really good. Uh, you know, interesting comments there, Brian, and kind, kind of along those lines, um, you know, with all the, panic that was going on a couple weeks ago uh, i i tell you another thing that is is not going to happen here in the short term is is eight, eight schools or nine schools in the acc are, are not going to band together to dissolve the conference uh anytime soon so i don't know how that rumor got that started and that one seemed to have got a lot of traction but uh forget it that's not the next thing that's going to happen i could just about guarantee that that's not going to happen um, a couple of the other things that I want to mention is last week was was the ACC uh, summer meetings, the media days, and you know it's a couple of comments that Jim Phillips had that day, and this is kind of alluding to what Brian was talking about that you know the ACC has to you know be proactive now, however they're doing that, and I think he was a little bit unfairly criticized for some of the things he said. Uh, you know, he he referred to the collegiate model a fair amount, and you know, I, he used some flowery language, and I'm really not sure what people expected because at the end, his the end of the day, he was focused on revenue generation. He said it like a hundred times during his his talk. Um, you know, if, if he said a few things, I think we all would have liked for um, you know to go back to the to the way it was, or at least somewhat you know, a more collegial atmosphere, but we know that's not going to be the case. And I'm sure he knows that as well. He's not counting on the SEC and Big Ten to just say, hey, you know, we're going to stop trying to make money. But with that said, um, I mean, he made several comments about working with ESPN. Um, they've had discussions with ESPN. Uh, he, of course, he. I think it's too early to say what ESPN and the ACC are going to do together. But I think it's very clear that something is going to happen. Um, David Hale from ESPN, uh, you know, pointed out on Twitter, even though he's not, he he kind of qualified it by saying, "I'm not in a position to say this." But he also said that he, he felt like ESPN was very financially vest, you know, had a financial interest in the ACC. You know, they do they do own the conferences, media rights, and the ACC network, and that you know they would have an interest in trying to keep the ACC viable. So, you know, however that looks like with a, with a merger or expansion, uh, I, I do think there's going to be some attempt by ESPN to, to work with the ACC. And then Phillips also said during his speech that he was working with revenue consultants that they had been for the last 18 months and that it was a possibility of being able to announce something uh, at the end of this month. So, you know, th things are happening behind the scenes, How, what they'll look like, who knows. But, um, you know, I, I think, as Brian was saying, the ESEC has to be proactive. And I think they are looking at some things. We'll just have to see, you know, what comes out, what, what those things turn out to be, if, if it's enough. But um, I, I can say I'm pretty confident that something is going to come out along those lines. So we'll just have to see. Very good, Jeff. Very good, Jeff. I'll just be real quick here. I'll just be real quick here. 
uh, I was, I've been happy to see the Americans do so well on track and field. Uh, Alexandria, Virginia's own, this is my town, guys. Alexandria, Virginia's own Noah Lyles won the, broke the U.S. world record in, uh, in uh, the uh, 200. And he's, he's, he's just 26 years old. He went to, went to what is, it was T.C. Williams. Now it's Alexandria City High School. And he's just doing, doing amazing on the world stage. And it was fun to see him, fun to see him do so well. So that's, that's all I have to say here. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. We would love to have you come on the show again sometime. Thanks for coming and spending your time with us this, this Sunday evening. Well, thank you to both of you. Uh, I appreciate it. It's it's fun to be back and and uh, talk about ACC football with you guys and uh, wish you the best. All right. Have a great week, guys. Thanks.